from the Old Testament. The Old Testament, prior to Christ. Prior to what we call the Gospel, supposedly. Not a good way of thinking about it, not an accurate way of thinking about it. The inspired, infallible, and errant, authoritative Word of God from Genesis to Revelation is precisely about God's plan of redemption for the likes of us. Isaiah says, Behold, my servant, speaking on behalf of the Lord God Almighty, God the Father in particular, Behold, my servant shall act wisely, referring to Jesus. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations, or that is, he will draw them unto worship of himself. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. (laughs) Hallelujah. For that which has not been told them, they will see, and that which they have not heard, they will understand. That's chapter 52 of Isaiah. It leads into the Old Testament gospel, the good news of Christ. Who has believed our message, he continues, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. When we imagine Jesus and what he would look like, I'm probably thinking that the majority of us go to our favorite Jesus movie, and whatever actor it was that we really liked in particular, that's how we picture Jesus, like it or not. And up until recent years, they always looked remarkably Anglo, very white. With blue eyes in particular. I remember Jeffrey Hunter in The King of Kings. We would envision a perfect God in human form as being obviously incredibly handsome. And yet we're told by Isaiah quite the opposite, that Jesus was homely. That's what the passage means. He was homely. That's what Isaiah is telling us. But you see, this human condition of which we are all born into this world is so warped that we would miss God if he didn't appear according to our imagination of him. And yet the Father warns that he would not be handsome when he comes. So don't be looking for this guy with gorgeous big locks, you know, and this wonderful masculine physique with perfect facial features. If that's who you're looking for, you'll miss him. Isaiah goes on, he was despised and forsaken of men. Now, is that what pop culture thinks about Jesus today? Is that what the masses think about Jesus today? Don't the masses adore Jesus? At least the concept, their concept of Jesus Of course they do. Which is why I always love to bring in this confounding little element of the word called the truth. That little known fact, it seems, that 
Jesus was so loved, note the sarcasm, he was so loved and adored by the masses that he was beaten beyond recognition. Just for starters. (laughs) And then he was executed by the adoring masses. The pop culture sees Jesus as the happy wanderer, skipping along loving people and heeding to their perception of what their desires are for comfort and for healing. But again, what a different picture the prophecy of Isaiah inspired by God gives us. He says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. And we did not esteem him. That means we didn't think he was anything special at all. In fact, quite the contrary. Looking at Jesus would cause people to actually look away from him. It's too difficult to look at him. Perhaps there's a reality that one sees that that in our carnal, in our, our sinful state in which we are born, that human condition I refer to, we don't want to look upon Jesus. We want to look away. It's too difficult to look at him. There's a reality that we really don't want to see. The reality of what caused God, remember, perfect God, what caused God the Father's disfigurement of the perfect man of God on our behalf. Too convicting. It's my sin and your sin that brought that on God in human form. And yet how often does that cause us to forsake the very sin that caused that to fall upon him? Surely our griefs he himself bore, Isaiah continues, and our sorrows he carried. And yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And you know how we dealt with it? Not sure what he did, but boy, he must have done something pretty bad. The truth, however is that he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah says the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, his beating, his being whipped, we are healed. Yeah. No. I want to stick with the clean, happy, singing, skipping Jesus that all the world, that all religions, in fact, like. But that's not who he was. All of us, like sheep, Isaiah writes, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We've all done our own things. We all do our own thing. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. The Lord, God, the Father, has caused all of our sins to fall upon him. Father in heaven, even at this moment, by the ministry of your Spirit, I pray, 
Let that penetrate deeply into our souls, O oh God. To understand, not just with a momentary clacking of the tongue in sympathy, oh, that's too bad, golly gee, but that it was and is our sins, Heavenly Father, that caused you in love to pour that out upon our Savior, our substitute Jesus. Isaiah continues, He, Jesus, was oppressed and He was afflicted. And yet He didn't open His mouth. Boy, couldn't He have? Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, He didn't open His mouth. By oppression and judgment, He was taken away. And as for His generation... Who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? In other words, who realized that he wasn't being punished for anything he had done, but everything that we had done? His grave was assigned with wicked men and yet was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord, this is mind-boggling, the mystery of the cross about which we just sang. This is the mystery of the cross, that the Lord God the Father was pleased to crush Him. Putting Him, Jesus, to grief, if He would render Himself as a guilt offering, He will see his offspring and he will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Here's the mystery of the Trinity. The Father willingly doing the crushing. The Son willingly accepting the suffering. The Spirit willingly bringing conviction and repentance to all who will hear, who will receive and who will accept it. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, in light of that, I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded, and I would add, New Testamentally intercedes, present tense, for the transgressors, which is you and I. Now, for this news to be received, Every individual has to accept the foundational premise, the foundational truth of what God tells us about ourselves, and that is that mankind is all messed up. It always has been. We're so used to thinking in terms of relative goodness. And it's always easy to come out pretty good on that scale. But that's not the scale. The problem with the world and much of the church today is that no one really believes just how utterly wretched we, honest to goodness, really are. Even the best of us. We are utterly dysfunctional. We are utterly sinfully lost and utterly 
worthy of the condemnation of God the Father. Which again is why we look away from Jesus, because the condemnation that fell on him we know is ours. It belongs rightly to us. The Apostle Paul writes then in the New Testament, but the word of the cross is foolishness. <laughs> it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Oh, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, nobody is going to come to God on the basis of human wisdom and, and just discerning the truth in the raw spirit of who they are. It is against our human nature to do so. No one comes unless the Spirit draws him, we are told. You're not going to just intuit it. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. When Paul was instructing the church at Corinth, as they gathered together to participate in, some people call it communion or the Lord's table or the Lord's supper, Paul gave them some pretty sober instruction on how to properly participate in this ceremony, in this act of worship. It's one that is not heeded very often today in the church that wears the name of Christ. It's not heeded by individuals, by us. You'll understand more in a moment. This is what Paul writes in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Whoa, 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 wait, time out. He's here gathered with the church. He's there with people who at least at some some level, with some pretense perhaps, are followers of Jesus or so they claim. I mean, this is a distinctively Christian ritual. It's a strange way to begin for a Christian ritual when you're talking to and among Christians. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But, or you could say so there, so a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he's to eat the bread and drink of the cup. Why? Because he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So what does it mean to come to the Lord's table and to judge oneself, to examine oneself? 
for wherever you are in your particular, I talked about this last week, the pilgrimage that everybody comes to the Lord on, right? Where some are at the very beginning, some aren't even at the beginning with, with Jesus, but they're kind of exploring and looking and maybe desiring and trying to figure out what's truth and what isn't truth and all of that. And some are brand new, infant, very young babes. No matter how long they've been a Christian, they might be just barely born into the kingdom. And then every phase of maturity that goes on from there. The process of becoming like Jesus is a lifelong process. That's true. That's called sanctification. That's the work of the Holy Spirit within every believer. And so when we come to this table, we all come at different places in our walk with the Lord. But He, God Almighty, holds each one of us accountable for the knowledge that we have of His Word and whether we have obeyed His precepts and counsels for life or whether we've just blown them off and figured, you know what, I believe in grace and mercy and Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I've got that memorized. He paid for all of my sins, past, present, and future. Therefore, I can live like hell because all will be swell. That's exactly the type of Christian the Apostle Paul is referring to here. He's like, no, no. But for your sake, he says, look, when you come to the Lord's table, you are identifying with the condemnation and the wrath of the Father against sin upon Him, and you are partaking of that. And if you are coming to that table flippantly, arrogantly, living in known disobedience to what you know to be true from His Word, in your lifestyle, in your actions, in your thoughts, Paul says, for your sake, don't partake until you get yourself cleaned up. You say, wait, okay, I'm confused here. This is, this is sounding like, like justification by works. This is sounding like you have to earn your way to God. No, 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 no. Nay, nine yet, nix, me pa, ne genita. Uh-uh. Because you see, the individual who has come to Christ and has been indwelt by their Holy Spirit, sure, we can push that spirit down. We can bury him. We can say, shut up later. I'm doing it my way for now. Okay, We all do that, no matter what place we are in our, our place of maturity along that line. We all do that to varying degrees. And we will all continue to sin until the day we die. But if we are not on a growth pattern where, where we are confronted by something of the clarity of God's Word about particular actions, behaviors, thoughts, values, views of life that we know are contrary to the Word of God, and we say, what the hell with it? I'm going to do it my way, because my way, for now anyway, feels good. Paul says, okay, now you're trampling on the Holy Spirit. You are trampling on the grace of God. And at that point, you are subject unto the discipline of God who loves us and will hurt us in order to bring us back to himself. Not because he's mean, but because like a loving parent, he disciplines in love to bring us back, to give us what he knows we need and what we want, not what we think we need and what we want. And so the consequences of our life choices cave in around us and fall upon us. And we sit there and have the nerve oftentimes to say, Oh God, why? 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 You're reaping what you're sowing. you got to do it my way. 
So don't mishear me or misunderstand when we come to this table. If you think that this table is for that individual who is now sinlessly perfect, then every time we celebrate this table, we will leave everything right there. And we'll just talk about the someday future. But it is for the one who is contrite. It means the one who understands, God, how I know I'm a sinner. But before you, O Lord, there is not something that you have pressed upon me, something that I have, I know darn well, that I have adopted the views of the world out there, and I have accepted that as what is true rather than what you say is true. And honestly, I avoid church or I avoid you, I avoid your people, I avoid the counsel of your word because I know I am in sin. That one is saying, look, you need to not participate here until you get that right before God and the Holy Spirit. And there isn't anyone in here this morning that can't do that. (laughs) But, But it's not like a magic formula. It's not like, okay, I said that, did that, done that, take it, do it, good. Now I'm good until next month, come around again, do it again, take it, did it, good, it, got it, good. No, that's a vain repetition. That's why I wanted to take the time this morning. We don't normally do our Lord's table this way. But time and again, we need to come to see what the reality is, so we need to examine ourselves. And if you watch carefully over the years, why you shouldn't be, though, you should have your mind and your heart on yourself, especially during this time, just you and the Lord, you would see me time and again not partaking of the table myself. Not because I am in in open, abject rebellion, and maybe I'm even just already trying to make it sound better than it is. That's the human heart we're going to do during this time of distribution of the elements says your grace abounds in deepest waters your sovereign hand will be my guide where feet may fail and fear surrounds me you've never failed and you won't start now so I will call upon your name I'll keep my eyes above the waves when oceans rise my soul will rest in your embrace for I am yours I am yours, and you are mine. If you're taking your relationship with the living God seriously this morning, do business with him during the passing of the elements. We'll all partake together, so just hang on to them. But do your business and do it with an integrity of heart and spirit because you're not going to pull the wool over God's eyes. He knows us. He made us. And he invites us to this for the purpose of refreshing and renewal and starting again, knowing full well what each one of us are going to do when we walk out those doors. Praise the Lord for His goodness and His grace.